Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Friends, pray with me, please, as we pray for the prayer of illumination. Let's pray. So, O God, we ask for your Holy Spirit in this moment to move in us and for us and through us, even in spite of us. Help us to hear your word to us afresh and anew. Give us your word for the living of these days. Inspire us, O God. Draw us near to you. And all God's people say, Amen. So last Sunday, our senior pastor, Tom, began this new preaching series, Life in the Wilderness, talked about John the Baptizer. Today, we talk about the baptism of Jesus. This is the Sunday we recognize the baptism of Jesus Christ. And then we begin this conversation about what it means to live in the wilderness, and Tom will continue to lead us there. This day, listen for the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Mark. This is the first chapter the ninth through the eleventh verses. Listen for the word of God. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, my beloved, with you I am well pleased. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Hmm. So we came to call it the Babushka Crunch. This happened when I was privileged to be part of a delegation of American Presbyterians. We were invited by the Russian Orthodox Church to come and sit with them over the course of several days in dialogue together. The Russian Orthodox Church began inviting other churches throughout the world to come in conversation with them in this ecumenical dialogue series. And we were the American Presbyterians who were invited to go there and sit with our Russian Orthodox sisters and brothers. We met in St. Petersburg, a marvelous, beautiful, historic city. We worshiped on that Sunday on Baptism of the Lord Sunday. It was this commemoration day. And the Russian Orthodox, oh my goodness, those folks can do ceremony beautifully. They have these amazing icons all over. Oh, I want you to know this. For the Russian Orthodox worshipers, they don't have pews. You stand the entire time of liturgy. Oh, also, they don't believe in musical instruments beside the human voice. So there's no organ, there's no other instruments taking place during worship except for the human voice. So liturgy is sung back and forth. After the preaching of the sermon that day by the priests in these different services where we visited, they would give us the space sort of up here towards the front because we were, after all, guests. And so there we are standing, these American Presbyterians, during the entire worship service. All around us were babushka, which is the Russian word for grandmother. 
and they were everywhere, and most of them actually were about half my height. They all had their heads covered because that's what you do when you come to worship, to honor God. Some of them greeted us warmly. They were thrilled that we were there. There were a few, however, who were looking at us askance. I could tell what they were thinking. They were saying, you're standing where I usually stand. <laughs> that never happens here at Village Church, of course. But here they were. They were um, all around us. After the sermon, the priest came out, and he had a bowl of water, and he had evergreen branches and on this baptism of the Lord day, what they were going to do is they were going to sprinkle the congregation with water. And that's when the babushka crunch happened. These seemingly harmless, petite, small grandmothers, they began to surge toward the priest at the front of the nave. They wanted the water. They raised their hands up, and they were pushing each other out of the way to get to the water. Some of them were lifting up grandchildren and passing them above their heads to get to the priest to get as much water as possible. It was something I had never seen. By the third church, we were ready for these babushka. Several of us who were the bigger guys in the American delegation, we sort of squandered down. We got ready because we were going to take some of them out because they were trying to get to the water, right? By golly, they were amazing. Their, their gravity center is lowered to the ground. They could have done well for us yesterday up in Denver, I think. Um, they pushed us out of the way because they wanted to get to the water. They were desperate to get to the water. Later on that afternoon, I was having a meal with a number of our hosts Next to me was one of their priests, a younger priest, and he was fluent in English, and so I was able to ask him questions, especially about all of that. And I said, what was that about? And he said, it's about the baptism of our Lord. They want the holy water. They're desperate for the holy water. And I said, why? And he said, it's a matter of blessing. And I said, oh, so they want to be blessed. And he said, yes, but it's not just blessing. It is also identity. It's not just blessing, it's also identity. In the waters of baptism, he said, we know who we are, we Russian Orthodox. So here's this marvelous brief story in the Gospel of Mark about Jesus being baptized. Mark's style of writing is short and succinct and to the point, right? He's different from John, different from Matthew, different from Luke. Um, in the four Gospels, all four Gospels tell the story of the baptism of Jesus. That alone is significant because out of the four Gospels, only two of them tell a story about Jesus' birth. Only three of them consider even the story of the Last Supper. One of them leaves it out entirely. Four of the Gospels, only four of them, they only have two miracles that they share all in common. So the fact that all four of them talk about the baptism of Jesus is significant. All four of them mark this day, this moment, as the beginning of Jesus' public ministry of teaching and healing, of preaching, of proclaiming the Gospel for all peoples. So, here we have Mark's gospel, short to the point. In those days, he says, Jesus 
came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. That sounds pretty straightforward and pretty easy. Jesus comes from Nazareth of Galilee. Except you Bible scholars, you get this, right? It is nearly 80 miles from Nazareth to where we think John the baptizer was preaching and baptizing in the Jordan River. 80 miles. It isn't that Jesus just happened to walk by, see John the Baptist baptizing and preaching, and thought, oh, I'll get in line. It's 80 miles. Scholars say for healthy people, that's a four to five day walk. Jesus walks four to five days to be baptized by John the baptizer, his cousin, in the River Jordan. He's baptized, and then it says, as he was coming up out of the water. Okay, so some of us come from a tradition where you have to be immersed to be baptized. My dad grew up American Baptist, and when he became Presbyterian, he struggled with this idea that you don't have to be immersed. All of our sisters and brothers who practice immersion in baptism, it comes from these words. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water. Oh, well, that means he had to be submerged under the water. So that's what we do. We Presbyterians are not quite as literal. We're a little more creative. We think sprinkling's good enough. As he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw the Holy Spirit like a dove descending. Oh, hey, so that's where we get this. Can you see this? Some of you, is the screen blocking? Look at the top of our, right? See the medallion up there? That is a symbol for the Holy Spirit, the dove descending. That comes from this verse and all of the verses in Matthew, Luke, and John as well, right? So the Spirit descending like a dove, and then, this is so cool, He says, the heavens were torn asunder. He saw the heavens torn apart. That phrase, torn apart, happens in two places in Mark's gospel. Here in chapter 1, at the very end in chapter 15. Some of you already get this, right? You're thinking about this. Oh, you're so good, right? The heavens torn apart, that same language, happens in the moment when Jesus takes his last breath. He dies on the cross. And what happens to the curtain in the temple the synagogue there in Jerusalem, the curtain is, there it is. Is that not cool? Jesus is baptized. He begins his public ministry. He looks up to heaven, and he sees heaven torn apart. He takes his last breath on the cross, and the curtain in the synagogue is torn apart. These bookend moments shape his ministry among us. And then Jesus hears a voice from heaven that says, You are my child, my son, my beloved. With you I am well pleased. Baptism is not just about cleansing. Um, All religious faiths have some kind of cleansing ritual. Our Muslim sisters and brothers have cleansing rituals. Our Jewish sisters and brothers have cleansing rituals. Our Hindu sisters and brothers, our Buddhist sisters and brothers have cleansing rituals. We Christians are no different. The difference is it's not just about cleansing, and it's not just about blessing. This is about identity. In the moment of his baptism, Jesus is named. God says, you are my son my beloved, 
In you I am well pleased. You are my son, my beloved. In you I am well pleased. You heard our pastor Melanie say it. In baptism, we are named and claimed as God's own forever. You are my child, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Oh, I know we're carrying a lot in these days. I know we're struggling with what happens with this Omicron in our midst. I know there are days when we are struggling to keep going. In those moments, I want you to grasp this. I want you to believe this, that God turns to you and says, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. You are a child of the living God. There are some moments in our lives when I believe it is only that knowledge that will save us. So several years ago, I was privileged to be preaching a series of sermons at Chapel by the Lake Presbyterian Church in Juneau, Alaska, just outside of Juneau. It is as picturesque as it sounds. The lake actually is fed by the Mendenhall Glacier, which is receding at a horrible rate because we are killing the earth. But the Mendenhall Glacier is right there. In fact, the whole back of the chancel is all glass, right? And you see the Mendenhall Glacier right there and the lake that is fed by the Mendenhall Glacier. Some of you have been there. That is the lake, chapel by the lake. And so here's this beautiful, beautiful church. I preached on Friday night and Saturday night and preached twice on Sunday. Before each of my times of preaching, I asked the pastors, hey, would you invite somebody from the congregation to get up and just share their testimony and to answer the question, how is God at work in their life today? Just a brief testimony. I love having people from the congregation share their own stories before I share stories. I just think it helps make it more real. On Friday night, a young woman, a high schooler, got up and shared how she was seeing God, Jesus, at work in her life. It was beautiful testimony. It was wonderful. On Saturday night, Bill got up before I was to preach, and he shared his testimony. Bill was a ruling elder in the congregation. He was very, very successful as a businessman. He was the founder and owner of one of the largest engineering firms in Juneau, Alaska. Had 200-some-odd persons working for him. He was famous. He had contacts with the governor and with the legislature, etc. I mean, he was well, well known, respected. He had a wonderful family. People liked Bill, loved him. Very generous man. So when he got up, I sort of got the sense from the congregation, people were like, yeah, of course we're going to ask Bill because he's great and everyone loves him. That's wonderful. What is Bill going to say? And he was reticent from the start. And later people told me that they were surprised because that was not his usual nature. He had a hard time making eye contact with this congregation that he knew and loved. Looking down, he said, I need to say something tonight that I should have said years ago, but I didn't have the courage. He said, yesterday was my eighth birthday. And people were confused. He said, it was my eighth birthday of being sober. I am a recovering alcoholic. And it is a battle every single day not to take a drink. And there was an audible gasp 
in that congregation that night. He went on to talk about how he had struggled for much of his life with alcoholism, horrible disease, how out of his arrogance he thought he could take care of it. And then eight years ago, in a last moment, when his wife Anne said she was taking the kids and she left their house, that changed him forever and ever. He realized how devastating his behavior had been upon his marriage and upon his children. And he sought help. He'd been eight years sober as of that previous day. Then he turned to his wife, Anne, who was sitting, I saw them. Anne was there and his three kids, all teenagers, were sitting right there. And he looked out at Anne and he said, Sweetheart, Annie, I need you to know I was a terrible, terrible husband to you. And I've tried everything I possibly could in these past eight years to make it up to you. But I want to thank you because the only reason I'm standing here is the love of God that you showed to me over and over again. He talked about several times when he thought he would be better off taking his own life rather than trying to live as an imposter. Then he turned to his three kids and said, Kids, some of you have memories of this. I am so sorry. I was a terrible, terrible dad to you. And I've been trying to make up for that these past eight years but I want you to know how much I'm grateful for your love for me and your forgiveness for me. No father could ask for three better kids. I am so proud of the three of you. You are the best kids in the history of the world. And at this point, they're crying, Annie's crying, and Bill is crying. And then he says, I am standing here today only because of the grace of God and Jesus. That's the only thing that saved me and the love of those four people right there. He said, I worry that we have to be perfect with each other, and we really don't. We just need to be honest and courageous. It was an essence of identity for Bill, grace upon grace. I know we're caring a lot. I know there are moments of joy that we're experiencing. I'm so glad for those moments of joy. But I know we're also carrying grief and sadness. We're carrying anger with us and resentment. We're carrying despair and addictions and depression and hopelessness and cynicism and mean-spiritedness and self-loathing at times. In those moments, I want you to remember this. Your identity is that you are a beloved child of the living God. The God of the universe has named you and claimed you as God's own. All of those things, all of those things are real. I understand that. 
but they do not make up the totality of your identity. Your identity, the essence of who you are, is that you are a beloved child of the living God. Baptism does not confer that, but it does confirm it. You have been a child of the living God from the moment of your existence. You are now and you will be for all of eternity because that's not your choice. That is God's doing. That is God's decision. God turns to our Lord in the moment of his baptism and says, you are my son, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. God turns to you every moment of your day and says, you are my beloved child. I am the living God of the universe, and I love you, and you are my beloved child. That is the essence of your identity. That is who you are. And there will come times in our lives when only that is that will save us. So in those moments when you do not feel that is true, I need you to say that over and over again to yourself. Say it over and over again until it embeds in your soul. Whenever the question is asked, who are you? Your answer, I am a beloved child of the living God. Who are you with me? I am a beloved child of the living God. Who are you? Say it again. I am a beloved child of the living God. Say it again. Who are you? I am a beloved child of the living God. Say it with conviction. Who are you? I am a beloved child of the living God. That is the essence of your identity. We have many roles that we play every moment of every day. But the one that matters most, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, you are my child, my beloved. Friends, no wonder, no wonder the babushka crunch. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.